The Hard Shoulder with Kieran Cuddy with Nissan on News Talk. Gives me great pleasure to welcome to the hard shoulder Steve Thompson. Lots of you will know uh, of Steve. He's played over 70 times uh, for England, now a retired uh, international rugby player. He played for the British and Irish Lions. He won the World Cup in 2003, lifted the uh, William Webb Ellis Trophy with his teammates. Uh, Steve has been in the news headlines, headlines quite a bit, though, in the last couple of years in retirement uh, for other reasons. He was diagnosed, as many of you will know now, with early onset dementia and probable CTE, which is chronic traumatic encephalopathy. Steve recently appeared in a BBC documentary, Head On, Rugby, Dementia and Me. Steve, you're very well, very welcome to the show and it is great to talk to you and thanks a million for, for taking the time to chat to us. Um, I know a lot of people listening would have seen the documentary and, you know, they'll have kind of in equal parts felt awful for what you're going through and, and at the same time been impressed with how you're dealing with it. But for, for people who, who haven't seen it, um, maybe you might start by telling us a little bit about when problems first began to manifest for you, when you realised, listen, there's something a bit off here. Um, it was first, really, it all sort of came together when uh, Alex Popham, the former Welsh rugby player, um, called me up. Um, and started, I was mates with him and I played in France with him. And he he said to me, you know, I'm having these problems, you know, and it was with, with memory, um, emotions, um, fear, everything. He, he just said, you know, it's it's just, I'm, and I was like, oh, I'm really sorry to hear that and sort of carried on. I was working on site at the time. And then I went back to my wife, Steph, that night. And I said, oh, a lad I used to play with, like gave me a call and then I started explaining what he'd said to me. And she just looked at me and was like, that is like he's explaining you. That's exactly what you're going through. Whereas I was in quite denial about it. Um, you know, some days just feeling so fatigued, tired, mood swings, anxious, being like unsociable, just not wanting to do anything. You know, memory just gone completely. Um, and, you know, I was in my early 40s then, right? And I just thought it was normal. You know, mm. just not to be able to remember big chunks of your life and things like that. I just, because I sort of came out of rugby and sort of just stayed away from it. And then when that happened, before that, um, I'd done a talk uh, for Sports Aid and they started questioning me about the World Cup. And I was just like, well, to be honest, I just don't remember anything. And they said, oh, what do you mean? Like, what minute do you not remember? And what do you, and I said, no, I just don't remember being in Australia. I just can't, you know, I just, I thought that was normal. And the crowd sort of went quiet and no one sort of questioned me about it. And it wasn't until like my agent, Ben, who also just, he's a good friend of mine, looks after me. He was, when I told him about the conversation with Alex, he went, can you not remember what went on in Milton Keynes, you know, a few months ago? I went, no. And he was like, that's what happened about sports aid in the chat. And I was like, well, just no, not at all. And suddenly when you start looking back, I start trying to remember. And it's like I said, most of my twenties just aren't there at all. And Steve, when when Steph, when your wife said it to you, like that is you that Alex Popham is describing, and when your agent kind of said, "Listen, you know, that sounds a little like you as well," did did the denial continue? I mean, did you kind of dismiss them and think, "Ah, no, listen, you don't know what you're talking about," or or was the penny slowly beginning to drop? Then it, it sort of what came in and out of yeah, yeah, I've got a problem. To no, no, I'm absolutely fine and denial in, and you know, I'm only early forties. There can't be anything wrong, you know. And and it wasn't then, and I started going through the test process that 
you know, and the one time it, when it really sunk in the first time, really like for me to take on board was I was doing these tests, these sort of brain tests with a doctor and she gives you 20 words to remember and you have to repeat. Once she finishes, you have to repeat them. And I scored four and then you go off and do other brain game type things and you go back and she repeats the same 20 words and then you have to like try and do them again. And I scored four again. So suddenly, and it just kept happening like that. And I can remember I, I must, I broke down crying because it hit me and I just kept apologizing to her because I was like, I'm so sorry. And it hit me that, you know, I'm, I'm in trouble here. Like, I think I might actually have what they, they're saying. Mm. But then also during that, my wife wasn't in that part. The doctor um, talked to my wife separately. And my wife's nan had just died of dementia a few months before. And my wife said, oh, it's really weird. It's as if he's got dementia, but I know he hasn't because he's, you know, he's too young to, and, yeah. you know, and, and of course the doctor at the time couldn't say anything. And it wasn't until, you know, a few months later, we got the full diagnosis and, you know, it's one of them moments where my wife was like, I told you, I told you. <laughs> you know, it's like, <laughs> all right, all right. So, you know, we, it sounds like, you know, we get through it with a bit of like dark humor and, and things like that. And, you, you know, you, you've, once you sort of got dealt it and, you know, I licked my wounds for a while at first, just trying to understand it. Cause I didn't, you know, when they say early onset dementia, it's like, Oh, have I only got it a little bit? And suddenly they're like, no, no, you, you've got it quite bad. It just means that you're under 60 really. And you're young. Um, and then suddenly you start looking into it, just how many people have got it really. And like I said, with the rugby lads, you know, there was three of us at first, then there was seven. Now there's over, there's just under 300 that mm. have been diagnosed. So you look at it, you just, you know, it's a, it's a massive problem. Did, well, well, beyond kind of joking with, with, with Steph um, uh, when you heard the news, was there any sense of you, most people would be terrified of receiving news like that, but was there any part of you that was somehow relieved? Well, listen, I, I know what it is now. Total. So at the first couple of days afterwards, it sounds really, I was really high because like you said, you know, I'm, I'm a rugby player. I'm used to having you know, certain injuries and things. And you can come back and you just think, right, we can, we, I know what it is now. I can battle it. And, you know, so I was like, yeah, at least I know there's something wrong. You know, there's, there is a reason for me, my memory going, you know, me being up and down. And and then suddenly now we know there's a problem because there's nothing worse than going to the doctors when you know there's something not right with you. And then they go, well, your bloods are clear and everything's clear. We just, we just don't know what's wrong with you. There's nothing, I think there's nothing worse with that. So, there was a massive relief when I first got told, I must admit. And then a massive down after that of guilt of what I was putting, you know, I was going to put the kids and Steph through and my friends. Uh, so, I mean, the, the 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 licking the wounds, what did that look like? Just a massive down, like down because suddenly when you start looking at it and also because I came out to the media, suddenly people knew what I'd got people started looking thinking you know I had to give up jobs suddenly I couldn't work on site because if someone else got injured they might not get paid out because I was on site because it was like well if you're supposed to be looking after him how can you remember you're looking after him you know there's all these sort of things so by me sort of coming out and talking out it financially and that has kicked me in the nuts big time short term um, and now we're still trying to manage how we get back into life after it as well, because people do look at you a bit differently. People do want to talk to me about it, but do they want to employ me? No, they don't. That's tricky, isn't it? I mean, 
and also, yeah, you know, people, sorry, people like they associate this with 60, 70 year old. And I did, you know, you think of someone in their 90 or night clothes walking down the street because they're lost and, you know, they're 70s, 80 year old. You know, suddenly there are lads in their 30s, early 40s that have, have got this. And, you know, even trying to go down the NHS road and trying to speak to them, they were like, I don't know why you're here. You're too young. Like we, we can't mm. do anything with you. So there's like this big hole of, you know, it's it's like a problem that's been chucked upon people and we've sort of scratched the surface and suddenly it's blown up now. But but it's huge, but it's no one really knows what to do with it at the moment. But it, it sounds kind of like kind of people on some level, and I know this isn't the word you would like to them to use, but they kind of pitied you a bit, did they? Yeah, and it, you know it does, and you know, but then also it's about like self-respect. Like I've always worked when I was young. I always had paper rounds, milk rounds, worked on building sites, done everything. And suddenly, when you have that taken away, the fear because I've got young kids is, you know, I want to put food on the table, I want to put a roof over their head, and suddenly, you know, I know anyone can get cancer, get run over, you know, all this sort of thing that can happen at any time. But when you're there, you look at you like you know, what, what, what am I able to do? You know, my life has just shrunk considerably because of this, I could be in a home in the next five to 10 years. Suddenly, you know, I'm not going to be able to work as long and provide for my children. Now the jobs at this moment have shrunk what I can actually do. And suddenly, you know, that's the scary thing for me because, mm. you know, as the breadwinner, that sounds, you know, that's, and I've always been a worker and I don't care what, if I have to work two jobs a I'll do it, you know, and I don't mind sweeping the streets. I'll do anything to earn money. And suddenly when things, simple things like that, you know, people are, oh, well, you know, with health and say, we're not sure you can do that now. And you're just a bit like, well, you know, we're in a bit of a, a hole, to be honest. So, I mean, how is the health then today? Like, given It's obviously still impacting you, given you're confined to just a, a few jobs. And on a day-to-day basis, how does it manifest itself for you? Well, one, I've, I'm having to really sort of rest myself and the way you know i'm lucky enough i've spoken to um a neuro uh psychologist uh gavin newby dr gavin newby and he to me he saved my life like I'd, I'd be dead now i would have definitely you know i've been close to suicide a couple of times once really close um and they've got me on medication now which i wouldn't have got of if it wasn't for them and so you know just trying to manage the life like i can't do two busy days in a row and things and suddenly because you know I'm just fatigued my memory goes trying to talk to people and my speech can just go and so I'm having to sort of rest constantly and like I said in my mind the problem is because I'm still fit I train keep myself in good shape because that's what they say you know you've got to do as well but it's that balancing act of being able to be the best I can for my kids and that trying to do work I can do but then also if you wear yourself out I fall apart so it's, you know, it's, it's quite a hard thing to do. And Steph, she does most of it for me, to be honest. My, you know, if it's little things like say the weekends, you wouldn't even think about it normally. You know, if you've got a wedding on the Saturday and a christening on the Sunday, I can only do one of them because mm. there's no way I can do two, those two, because I'm just, I just fall apart and just, just, it's just, I'm gone. And, you know, it's having to do things. I've got four kids under, under 10 now and, you know, having to manage them as well, bless them, you know, and they understand it now, which, you know, in my mind, they shouldn't have to, they shouldn't have to go through something like this with someone so young. And my big thing is, you know, I, when they're older, I want my kids to come and see me, not have to come and see me. Um, 
So that's why we're trying to fight and understand, you know, what is actually going on with me and others. So we mm. can just try and get the best for other people. You know, I've had my life now. That's the way I look at it. I just want to try and make myself the best for my kids. You know, like I said, I've, I've been so close to just ending it. And suddenly at that time, I must admit, I thought people that committed suicide when I was younger were weak people. And I can, I'll honestly say, but in that time when I was going to do it, I thought I was the most selfless person because I was going to do it and they'd be better off without me because I'm just dragging everyone down. And, you know, it's just, you know, Dr. Gavin, that's really helped me. And that's why I'm speak out and I speak so honestly about it because I get people nearly daily messaging me now that either they're going through this or, their friends or family are going through this and they're like, you know, we, we just want to thank you for for talking because when I finished rugby, I just finished and completely went out the public eye as such. Yeah. And even when I was playing, my mates go, well, you were never really like one of these TV ones or anything like that. You <laughs> played the game and just got out of it. It's not, perhaps it's because my looks or something like that, they keep saying. But, <laughs> <laughs> they, you know, and it's it's hard because my wife as well because things like this you know I've been asleep all this morning because I've got to do this so I'm having so I, I know I'm good and then people go oh, you when you talk you talk all right and then suddenly Steph my wife who's sometime in the back she's just like well he's not for me all the time like because then I'll sleep this afternoon yeah. and stuff and it's just bizarre whereas this should be easy you know doing the garden should be easy for me but you know choosing just to cut all the bushes and stuff in the garden that's me fatigue gone and it's just. You know, trying to understand what is going on. Yeah, it's strange. The way it manifests for different people is just kind of one of the, the, the features of dementia, I suppose, is and why it's so difficult for people and doctors and everybody to deal with is that it can be different, so different for different people. In terms of the authorities, the games authorities, I mean, how seriously do you think they now take it? They all talk a good game, but then in Dublin last week, we had this situation with the Australian uh, scrum half coming back on the pitch when everybody saw that he took two blows to the head and then lo and behold it turns out that he has been kind of stood down decommissioned uh, because uh, yeah. uh, of uh, concussion concerns yeah so it's Hooper the, the seventh for them as well like after the game now he's not playing this weekend because he's shown signs obviously afterwards so you know they have talked a good game and you know you look at the science you know you had obviously Matt Williams talking about you know we've got to trust the system we've got to trust the science and all this but so is he saying that we've got to get rid of all grassroots rugby because there's not doctors at the at the games you know that this is a problem in life now that that's sort of manifested itself and we've seen it that you know people do bang their heads people do that all the time and concussion is is a dangerous thing so if your parents, if your friends, if your players, you know, you, you've got to understand it because you need to help because there aren't doctors all the time, you know, in, in grassroots rugby and even on international games when there's cameras and that everywhere, they're saying, oh, well, we missed it. You know, for, so for Matt to turn around and say, well, we just got to leave it to them. You, you don't, you know, Rob Carney was brilliant. You know, I loved when we first came out, he sort of said, I was one of these players, you know, when, you know, someone like, Brian O'Driscoll was knocked down in the game. So he said, oh, I was literally looking at the dots and he's fine. Leave him alone. Leave him alone. And he, he was playing in Australia towards the end of his career. He said, all of a sudden, this all came out. And suddenly he said, oh, I'm standing there looking at players going, he's not right. Shouting to the doctors, he's not right. I've seen him like he's taken a bang. Uh, you know, he's got a brain injury. Let's get him off. So it just goes to show, if you could change the actual players thinking like that, everyone should think like that really as well. And, you know, the authorities have said, oh, we're trying to, get rid of the head contact. We're trying to, you know, and all of a sudden 
you know, when they're banning players, oh, we'll, we'll give them six weeks, but actually they can do a little course and say that and then oh we'll just put them down to, to two weeks instead and you know some some of the old school was still going oh it's gone soft and it's which annoys me but you know I think overall a lot of people now actually see this and you know the backlash from the weekend has been massive and rightly so I think and it's just amazing for us that you know when we came out we had people I had people saying that they wish my kids got run over and stuff because I'd I'd ruined their their kids' dream of being professional rugby players and they respect me and now they don't and, you know, we're just trying to ruin the game. We're not, you know, the game has gone professional at the top and it's sort of filtered through and now it's this big beast that we need to try and, we do need to try and tame it and make it safer and, and that's exactly what we're trying to do. Well, listen, uh, Steve, I think lots of people listening to the show uh, who, as I said, would have been so impressed with the documentary will wish you well in that fight because it's something we talk about on this show and there's a huge concern, huge level of concern amongst parents out there in particular about the game and whether they should have their kids play in it. Uh, Thanks a million for taking the time to speak to us. Thank you very much. Thank you for having me. Steve Thompson, the former England international World Cup winner, though, as he said in his own words, he can't even remember the entire experience, not necessarily just lifting the trophy, the entire experience of being in Australia for the World uh, Cup. As I said right at the outset, that documentary, if you did miss it, it was a great documentary. Uh, It was uh, recently on the BBC, Head On, Rugby, Dementia and Me. The Hard Shoulder with Kieran Cuddy with Nissan. Weekdays from four on News Talk.